Is this the pre-pod? Yeah, this is the pre-pod. Are we doing All right. Pre-pod? Uh, this, is it? this is it. We're pre-podding. We're pre-podding. Right. What's your joke, Chris? So, do you know how I like to have a wee joke at the beginning of the of the pod? We do. And of late, they've been themed. Oh, I don't know if there's a theme. There's only been like three jokes. Got another COVID joke, right? Right. So, um, in Germany, they've been dealing and preparing with the crisis by stocking up with a lot of sausages and cheese. I believe. Oh, so. God. <laughs> I believe they're preparing for the worst case scenario. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> Did you make that up? Did you make that up? Uh, no, I saw it the other uh, day. I thought that's for the pod. <laughs> that's good. I think I think it's time for the theme tune, Stuart. Welcome to the Good Roundup. This roundup is from Good. You're a brand consultant based in the UK. And Chris, Julie and I come on and Chris has told me that I've got to say that we talk about brand. So I'm just going to check it out. How are Julie and Chris? Are we all well today? Are we all good? We're doing very well. That's good. It's end of lockdown week six. Chris? It's not end of lockdown just for the avoidance of doubt. We're still in lockdown. And... Oh, but it's end of week six lockdown then. This is a very special episode of The Good Roundup. We have a very special guest. A guest I can't tell you I'm very excited about. We're all very excited. One of my favourite people. <laughs> oh, Chris. Chris. That's, that's a contentious statement considering you have Julie and me on, on, this, on this podcast. So today I am delighted and honoured to have Nat Mayer with us. Hi, Nat. Hi Stuart. Hi Chris. Hi Nat. Hi Nat. Well wait, wait, before we get into the back before we get into the chat, which is good, a little bit of background on Nat. Can you just tell us a wee bit more about you? Well, I've worked in the design industry for the last nearly fifteen years. And as part of that career, I had three wonderful years as the MD of the London studio at Good. Um, but had worked with Chris and Stuart, actually, my previous role at the Design Business Association. So I am very passionate about all things design and the industry that sits around it. And that interest led me to create a network called Kerning the Gap to get more women into leadership positions in the design industry. And though I left good and went to another agency and I'm now consultant freelancing, I've kept up Kerning the Gap and that's become my almost my full-time baby. And I think Kerning the Gap is the thing that we want to talk about today. And I think we've had an association with it since its inception. I was there, uh, lucky enough to be there at the very first Kerning the Gap meeting on the banks of the Thames many years ago. And we were all at, what would you call it? It was a seminar, a kickoff. It was a Scotland launch. A Scotland launch. Thank you, Julie. Scotland launch back in, when was that? Was it January? February. February, February, yeah. That was... BC. Yeah, before Corona. And it was the biggest chapter launch, you said, Nat. It was, hands down. Glasgow really bought it. Actually, the whole of Scotland, Scotland, because we had people travel from Inverness and Aberdeen. They came far and wide. So let's just go back to the beginning. So why did you decide, because it's a nice encompassing line about starting Kerning the Gap for design, getting women in design leadership positions, but where? why did you spot that and go, hold on, there's a thing here? What, What... What was the genesis of that? Yeah, I had my first directorship at the DBA 
And of course, the DBA is incredibly well networked into the broader landscape of the design industry in the UK. And the further I got up in my career, the more I was sitting at tables and thinking, hang on a minute, where have all the women gone? There were less and less and less of them. And I started to reach out to a few of the ones that I was quite well connected with and said, look, there don't seem to be that very many of us. Maybe we should have a thing. And it was the original concept was we should have like some kind of breakfast group to to bring together those that are quite isolated in their businesses. That was while I was at the DBA. And then I went to Elmwood and I had this crazy global role where I was looking after five studios around the around the world and I didn't have, there was just no time in the day where a studio wasn't open and I never really got to put it together. And by the time I came to Good, my own kind of feminist education had matured over that period and I started to dig deeper into the real lack of gender diversity and leadership roles in the design industry and found the stats not just kind of frightening but horrifying. And I thought, someone's got to do something about this. And I had the normal healthy amount of imposter syndrome that any person in leadership has, men or women. And it was only when I had my first managing directorship, which is the position I was offered at Good, and the one that I joined to take, that I finally, bona fide, thought I am a woman in leadership who can speak from this platform. And because I had the network, courtesy of the Design Business Association, I then had the platform and I thought, it's going to need to be me. I need to do something about this. Um, and that's where the original concept was born from. So it kind of started off, in line, and it, but as you kind of left the, the agency after that, you've, it's kind of got chapters all over, all over the UK. Now, how many chapters have you opened? So we have five chapters now running around the UK. So as you just remarked, also, it started out as a breakfast meeting. And I just sent an invitation to everybody that I knew and said, there's a problem in our industry. 67% of design grads are women and only at that time, only 11% declared creative directors. We've managed to get that up to 17%, but it's still miles away from where it needs to be. This is an issue. If you're worried about that, come and let's have a conversation and work out what we need to do. And it started as a breakfast event and then became kind of a movement. And it was very London-centric. So we started with events there and then we launched a mentoring program um, and it just really took off. And I was very conscious that it had a massive skew towards London. And even though I had then left good, of course, you've got studios in Glasgow and London. So I had a much more national view of the landscape of design and thought, this isn't right. We need to do we need to do more. And I worked with Mal Hall at Canadi 4 on the first pilot for the Southwest. And we said, let's try it. Let's pilot it as a chapter. And that was a really good success. And we ran that for a year. And then we rolled out to Northwest. So we have Manchester and Liverpool within that. And then we have uh, Yorkshire. And within that, we have Leeds and Sheffield. And then we open Glasgow. And in the list for the rest of this, this year would have been Birmingham would have been added. But we are currently unable to do physical events but it doesn't mean that we won't do that and keep rolling those chapters out across the UK which has been brilliant. See you mentioned the mentorship program Nat, and I think it's, well that's one part of it that I think I find quite 
I find really interesting. And is that something that came out of what was essentially, I guess, a forum for discussion, if you think about it in the context of what was, like you say, initially a, a sort of breakfast meeting or gathering? Is, was that something that was kind of driven by that discussion in terms of this is something, you know, in terms of what do we need to do? What actions can we take? How can we help move things forward? Was that something that was identified in those early discussions as lacking in this space, specifically for women or for just people at a certain stage of their career? I think it's all those things, actually, Jules. I think every senior woman I had speak spoke about the value of the mentors that they had had, including me. And I had been part of the mentoring program when it was set up at the DBA. They have a program called 2020, and I had been one of the mentors on it. And I'd had this I had this feeling like the mentoring was going to be a big part of how we could create real and practical change because I have sat in room after room of women, senior women talking to other senior women about how they've already made it and essentially not really doing anything practical to translate that into change. And the mentoring program is a really one-to-one high impact way of being able to do that. And I think there are a lot of senior executives coaching programs but there are not a lot of mentoring programs for younger women who are in the first stages of their career Mm. I also think there's quite a lot of the old boys network that can work quite nepotistically so that younger men do go out and seek mentors or have sponsors more naturally and I don't think it's something that women have often been invited to seek themselves and I think and one of that that's just kind of an extension maybe this is something we'll get on to later but I think one of the things that I was quite not I'd taken aback is probably too strong a word but specifically in the with the Scotland launch was that actually the kind of balance between barriers that people were women were discussing versus actually a lot of it seemed more about confidence wasn't necessarily active barriers that were in place as to why you weren't progressing in your career. It was more about whether it's your confidence to go after a role. And we talked a lot about some of the practicalities around even the wording around recruitment ads and stuff like that. But I think it's quite interesting when you get into those kind of specifics, it's actually, you can see, I can, I could see quite clearly where the value of that mentoring program would be because just from a a confidence and development point of view for individuals because it's not necessarily always about there's a physical or not physical there's a you know there's a metaphorical barrier as to why I'm not you know you're not kind of progressing or or whatever it may be but it's more about a an individual yeah confidence yeah definitely I think that there's not a single event <clears throat> I've done or conversation I've been in where the question of com- women's confidence doesn't come up and it's really it's a unifying issue at the individual level where do you think that comes from? Have you got any insight into any of that? Ton. It's, I suppose, winding back a little bit. Part of it, part of the element of turning the gap. There were three principles that I started it on. One was that it needed to be role agnostic. There's loads of brilliant little creative networks for women, but where do our planners go? Where do our account handlers go? So it needed to have open access to every role within the design agency landscape second one was that it needed to be junior and senior women so it had to be accessible to invite juniors into women with senior women and the third one is that men have to be part of the conversation mm. so that's why it's called kerning the gap and not women in design because it's this absolute permission to be allied to the conversation we all need to be part of the solution and i think that's one of its major strengths i have to say because it's not just about women learning from women it's about women advancing in this space and i think like you say you can't you can't exclude men from that conversation it's it, the whole thing becomes pointless then no and men are not the enemy they're not the ones that are fostering the 
the Sichuan mean it depends on the day. <laughs> they are <laughs> they are not not these two gems they anyway. But <laughs> well, definitely not as the as the original sponsor of Kerning the Gap is in my bottom left hand corner of the screen. They're absolutely not. They're they're a fundamental and critical part of the solution, particularly as they run over 90% of our design businesses. So how the hell are we going to change it if we don't engage the entire audience into it? Mm. And there have been a lot of focus around the kind of the lean-in phenomena about what the individual needs to do to move themselves forward and start challenging that confidence gap. I think some of that's quite problematic and where that doesn't go far enough for me is that there isn't the pressure on businesses to create environments where women can thrive. Mm. And that's why Kerning the Gap is really a rally cry to industry to say, this is our problem. This is industry's problem. And we have to be pioneers in how we create better environments and support the women in our businesses. But it also offers practical tools and support like mentoring to women so that they can build and work through on their confidence. Where does that confidence issue come from? There are plenty of studies that say it goes all the way back to childhood, um, ingrained stereotypes around how women should behave, the role models that they've had in their in their lives growing up. And it can be really challenging. I mean, the earliest a young woman will come to the business is age 21. And a lot of those held beliefs are already ingrained by them. Deep rooted. Yeah, you're unpicking a lot of stuff. I think that's an interesting, because we've talked about this and it's always quite, and and as a a man. Speaking as a man. Speaking as a man. Speaking as a big hairy man. As a big hairy man. Quite privileged (laughs) middle class man. Tick, 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 tick. So as all that, the interesting thing for me is, and it's difficult to kind of articulate without sounding offensive, and I'm not trying to be offensive when I'm saying this to friends, is that... Oh, I'm going to like this. I'm liking this. No, no, no. But I have never seen it as a problem because of my upbringing. So I was brought up with strong people in my life, the majority of them were, were of which were women. And then when I got into my career... I was surrounded by strong people, the majority of which were women. So when I kind of hear these stories, it's kind of alien to me because, and I'm not denying that they're happening, of course not, and it's my privileged position that I don't, that I've not been in that position and I am not saying for a second it doesn't happen, that this is nonsense. And I think just, I, well, just to jump into that, Stuart and I talked about this after the event and I think I agree with Stuart and, you know, we, we see it obviously from our gender's perspective, which, you know, I know that everyone's had enough of hearing about. But the confidence thing is interesting because, Stuart, you and I talked about that, that. That confidence, there's a danger that the confidence thing becomes the exclusive preserve of, of, of the, of the woman. And it's not. There are confidence issues with men as well. That's a, that's a, not necessarily a gender, you know, issue. But, uh, and, and I felt at the event there was quite a lot of that. But I think it's important to separate the two. But yeah, yeah, separate the two. But I think it's just the point is that it's more com. It is, but I think it's more commonly. It's more. It's more. My, I guess my question is: Is it something you see more commonly in women than in men who are in a similar position? Mm. As opposed, it's not certainly not an exclusive female trait. Definitely not. I mean, we've seen that in some of the junior guys within mm. the team as well. Absolutely. It, the interesting thing is if we talk about societal norms it's women who have the permission to talk about not having the confidence. So those gender norms and the experiences and the role models and the, the the lack of visibility of any women in leadership that help encourage women to have the confidence that they could move into that position is one of the endemic issues. But they are encouraged to talk about it, whether that be in peer groups or whether it be in any of those forums, which is something that men 
don't necessarily have, feel mm. they have the permission to do or haven't felt they've had the permission to. We've got wild gender inequality issues in our leadership function of a very privileged middle class industry that we work in. Mm. But then we've also got, you know, crippling mental health issues for young men aged 18 to 25. So the, you mm. neither one problem wins over the other one actually these are this is the whole blend of being able to come together and have the permission of creating a safe space where everyone can share the truth of their experiences and the point being Stuart you are surrounded by loads of women you seem confident I would hope you would include the women in this room oh hi hi yeah yeah. (laughs) but I have crippling moments of lack of confidence it is still a muscle I work on a daily basis but what I show you versus what I'm feeling can be very different, and that's uh, yeah. And I'm, you know, I think we're all in the same. We all have our peaks and we all have our troughs. But in February, we had the launch of the Kerning the Gap chapter in Scotland, and Good sponsored that. Was that the official term, or were you? Good is the agency partner. So we are the agency partner in Scotland, which we're very proud of. And there was a panel discussion. There was a bit of an introduction from yourself that on the aims of Kerning the Gap which you covered and then there was a panel discussion and on that panel were a couple of design teams I can't quite remember but the, the one person I can remember obviously was Chris was on the panel and I, I thought the panel discussion was great I don't I mean Chris how did you find that process for you because you were quite nervous well, I, I was the I was the how, how, conscious of being the privileged white guy in the room. Yeah, I was the straw man or whatever it is, you know, representing the uh, I don't know the the norm, I suppose. And yeah, I got a couple of you know a couple of comments that way, but it was good. I mean, I thought I thought it was well. I, I, I actually, I think I think it was good, and I think that you'll probably you you probably have to do this every time you have one of these sessions, which is be quite conscious about how the conversation is guided and, and is grounded in a pragmatic reality. Because I think that there is no shortage, in particular in our panel, I think there was maybe not an awful lot of experience in terms of business, but there was a lot of. I mean. Every, Everyone's got an opinion on how the world should be, and I think you did a good job of helping to remind them that it's you know that once you've got some experience, it's, it's how the, you're bound by how the world kind of can be, you know, in, in a business real uh, scenario, and that's the tension for me that's always there. Yeah, I, I think it's one of the things that has enabled me to have more meaningful conversations with those who are in positions of authority to help change this landscape is that I've done the job. Yeah. I've had somebody tell me they're going on maternity leave two weeks after we've given them full-time employment. Like, and I, you understand I, that a client, you need to bring the money in. I, I yeah. Yeah. I massively said. I remember that actually on the very first event, somebody put their hand up and saying it was a woman, small agency owner, and she said, three of my team, and I've only got seven people, three have gone on maternity leave last year, and I'm not going to make any money for two years. Now, I support it. I'm with it. I'm here for that. But tell me, how does my business continue to operate, and how do I not? carry the scars of that when I think about my next recruitment move and I was really struck by it and I was struck by the honesty and it's so important that that honesty exists because these are the decisions that are being made behind the scenes these are the beliefs these are the experiences that are shaping the decisions that really well-meant business owners are making because and they're not just decisions that are being made by men (laughs) I mean these those business realities that business reality is 
the same for whoever's in that leadership position, like you say. And, and, you know, particularly in this space, you know, you run a pretty lean ship. So when you're talking about taking fundamental people out of your business and still trying to deliver projects and turn a profit and you retain your margins, that's a real, it's a real, real challenge. And I think that that kind of, and understandably, because I think a lot of the junior people that are not junior, but younger people that were within the audience and asking questions were coming at it from a very, are in a very different position and they don't have, they've not dealt with that reality yet and they will get there. And I, but I think even being exposed to some of those discussions and exposed to some of that reality in those conversations has got to be a positive yeah. thing. Because at the, yeah, at the event, when the conversation starts going to, you know, recommendations about visiting Glasgow's finest feminist library, I'm lost. I, I've got nothing to add. And I, I'm not particular. I'm not, I'm not sure that's the topic and subject area and discussion area that you want that, but it goes there quite quickly unless you're able to moderate it. Well, I mean, the fascinating thing is, and this harks back to part of our conversation yesterday, Stuart, when we were talking about creating a safe space and I'll let Stuart round out what he was sharing in terms of his reflections about what the need of more junior members of the industry are. They'll talk about the the conversation will go into the territory of feminism and the, the plight of the marginalised groups very quickly. But when they queue up at the end, the only questions they want to ask me are, how do I speak to my boss about this? How do I negotiate a pay rise? Like the actual nitty gritty of how do I move my career forward? So I think there is a place for that enthusiasm around making change that's what I tend to steer it back to Mm -hmm. and try and harness and galvanize that feeling of it should be different and that's the reality of it is that that woman struggling to work out how she was going to make money in her business over the next two years as she was thinking about it in an atypical traditional model which is what's kind of hampering the ability to change because the reality is it's going to cost your money business to have more women in it that's why there haven't been more because there are the associated costs. That's if saying everybody wants to start a family, but you'll need to think more laterally about how you staff up job shares, flexible working. You know, there are there are solutions, but they're not cheap and they're not quick and they involve commitment mm. from the business. But the younger generation where they're powerful is that they're not going to come and work for businesses who don't offer these assets. They won't. We won't get the talent. This is a this is a rally cry and a warning to industry to say we've got about five to seven years to change this or we just will not. We'll become obsolete in terms of talent. So the status quo cannot survive. We've got to adapt and change, but it will be a journey. And that's Mm -hmm. the point, Chris, is that. Mm -hmm. The reality of what that journey looks like is going to be slow, man. It's going to be slow. It's going to be incremental. 100%. It's going to be 10 years of committing to every single word that comes out of their mouth. That's what's so important about you playing that role because that's the reality. And and I think the other thing, to last comment from me on Stuart's question about how I find it, I was quite surprised at how quickly there's a, a kind of a cloak of suspicion kind of descends on the conversation around business that it's there to exploit and, you know, give them an inch and they'll take a mile. And I think it's important that you're able to pull that back and say, look, you know, that may be the case in some organisations, but it's not the norm, you know. And and you're right, it will it will be slow, you know. And this is what was discussed on the night, it will be slow. And I think that generally 
our sector and our industry is more welcoming and, and, and we tend to embrace those ideas about new ways of working quicker than our clients' established businesses and our more you know traditional sectors. And so we're ahead of the curve. We're at the top end. We're at the bleeding hitch. It's, it's everyone else we need to worry about. You know. Well, I mean, that's why it's so depressing because yeah. if we're the best, that we're getting it the best. Oh. And if we can't come up with the solution, sure, then accountancy law, Oof. they're fucked. <laughs> so we have to be the pioneers of how to change this. We have small, agile businesses. 98% of our businesses have less than 50 people in them. We can make change tomorrow if we want to. It costs us money, and that is a bit of a bottom line element of it, and it's going to be slow. So it's a completely different level of commitment. But anybody else is... You know, the amount of gender wash that's happening with people publishing their diversity statements is bullshit. That stuff doesn't change overnight. You're just conveniently recutting the data. It's yeah. a it's the same. That's this. Whatever these businesses are talking about, though, isn't it? Whether it's sustainability or whether it's diversity or whatever it is, you know, you reframe what you're doing to suit the narrative that you want to create. But the reality in terms of how businesses or how decisions are made is probably somewhat different to that. And that's exactly that point, Jules, is that what we're now doing in Canada Gap is creating a safe space for businesses to speak openly about their <coughs> progress, no matter how slow, no matter how small. Mm to encourage that and share that learning and say this is a long journey. So we don't have, you know, to all you have to do is kind of be engaged in the conversation to be a member of Kerning the Gap. Mm. There's no benchmark or audit that takes place because then people won't engage. Yeah, it's just encouraging the conversation, isn't it? Mm. Exactly. It's encouraging the conversation of everybody in that room takes something away that they can act on. And do then you think um, a practical tool in order to help them, then we'll make a difference. And not to, because it's you know the conversation is is rightly broader than just you know women at what and at what point if and when they choose to have a family and how that impacts. But do you think not to talk about the COVIDs because I know we were going away from the COVID. But do you think there would be any any positives coming out of this in terms of how flexible? flexible work or the adoption of flexible working and and the kind of potential impact on how people work and specifically women manage childcare with the challenges that people are facing just now do you think there'll be a potential knock-on impact in a positive way i think there'll be positives and i think there'll be negatives that there are in all situations but the positives could be quite landscape changing actually because the flexible working thing will be a game changer i am really struck by how many stories i have of men telling their comedy story of how their child interrupted them on a zoom call and i feel like there are women up and down the country going yeah it's not doable is it to just jump on a call for Mm. five minutes when you're supposed to be at home and you're trying to balance all those things. Now, I'm not saying all men, because I know that the men in this room definitely have co-parenting with their children. They understand and have been supportive of. <laughs> I'm saying nothing. No, I'm, I'm, I do my best. Every day is a journey. Now. Every day is a journey. <laughs> I mean, there's a reason why I joined Good and there's a reason why Kind in the Gap was born out of it. So we have to we have to think broader than our day-to-day experience. I think we've been very fortunate to keep the company that we have. But for the majority of women who are working three to four days a week and they're doing five days in three and they are working from home and they are trying to keep that blend, I think everyone experiencing what that really looks like is going to change a lot of top-down C-suite attitudes around flexible working. 
And it's that's a da- was it David Baker that said, you know, that's it's it ultimately comes down to trust because people can be lazy anywhere. You know, you don't have to be working from home to be unproductive. And I clearly demonstrate that on on, <laughs> on several occasions. You don't need to be unproductive at home. I can be unproductive in the office any day of the week if I choose to. Those Ed Sheeran videos don't watch themselves, kid. It's all about the TikToks now, Stuart. It's all about the TikToks. Yeah, you speak to women who are managing. Uh managing those levels of commitments they in, invariably feel like they're half-assing it at work and half-assing mm-hmm. it at home and feel crippling guilt on both sides which is a horrible place to exist so I do think that's going to have been a bit of an eye-opener I do think there are also women who are clamoring to get back into the office <laughs> and I think that's no bad thing for those stories to be told because there's lots of women who want to be at work there's lots of women who don't have families there's a lot of different dynamics that are existing I think one of the challenges with more remote working is that I'm having conversations at a more junior end certainly but how do I get my voice heard in a meeting or with a client and if that's hard enough to do in person then when you're in this forum and all you've got is your little box on that screen it's incredibly difficult so I think it will present new practical challenges of how women demonstrate their confidence or assert themselves or lead in the conversation but I think the world the shape of the world of work will change immeasurably or we'll, we'll forget it all in two weeks and go oh, back. Boy. forget most of it let's be honest yeah. we'll just, try and forget. just to go back to the the launch because I think one of the criticisms that you could put on any organisation like Kerning the Gap is that you do these little soirees of an evening and everybody's there and claps their hands and everybody goes, yep, 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 and feels very, yep, yep, worthy and everything else. But the, the interesting thing was the effect that it had in the office because a lot of our team came up to it. And, you know, the, the messages were carried through. And I think that was actually the power of it. It's easy to dismiss as another talking shop, but all you're doing not all you're doing, but what you are doing when you're talking about it is elevating the consciousness of the of the scenario. And mm, that's right. We came back and changed two job adverts. Yeah, after that's that. amazing. And and you, and the kind of horror behind when you looked at how those job adverts were created is that you. And again, it's this unconscious bias, and it's why you just need it pulled up and just a wee bit of a slap across the face with a fish, going, "Look at this a little bit." Closer because the and the bias supposedly the bias in job adverts are that it has everything in it that you've got to do this 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 and this, and the principle being, if you're a if you're a guy you're looking at that going well I can do that I can I can't do that but I'll just say I can do that and then I'll I can do that and I can do that whereas supposedly from a women's point of view in in theory that actually if you can't tick all those boxes off you're not going to go for the job is that correct is that the premise that's correct. Yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. It's about uh, men will apply if they have 17% of the competency or more and women won't apply unless they have 90. That actually is the total fucking story of my life. (laughs) (laughs) There was a classic, as an an aside, uh, we were talking with Steph Bermudgeels the other day. We are talking about the shareholder agreements that we've got in the MBO and the the, uh, classic piece of unconscious bias. And I was saying, I made a joke about something about if if. You leave. You're a you're a bad lever. And Steph said that when she reviewed the documentation, and it's quite a long document. The only time that the female gender is used is in a scenario of they're a bad lever. I didn't notice that either. I have to admit, I didn't notice. So, so that 
I know I didn't know. So that's come from the from the legal. That's come from the lawyer. So you can. I I I don't can't validate whether that's true or not. I've not looked it up. If Steph says it is, then I've got no reason to disbelieve it. Yeah, so but this again is the safe space of sharing those things, like calling yourself out on it or calling each other out on it, and doing that in a way that assumes that people are well-meaning and haven't mm. realised because that's the fucking point of unconscious bias. We don't have got it. Yeah. So yeah. we have to become conscious and think about every bit of language that we use or second-guess ourselves if we've made a decision and really check in with it and go, hmm, uh, is there anything yeah, yeah. at play there? Have I really been... And, and get someone to come in towards it with you and kind of mm. be that support. One of the things, um, one of the other things, and not just to talk about good, but I know we've, I think we've touched on it before, the coaching, everyday coaching and having a bit of a kind of development plan and focus for the team in terms of understanding how their individual performance contributes to the broader business goals and all that kind of stuff. And so there's been a kind of moving away from these annual review processes into much more sort of everyday and then monthly sort of coaching sessions, etc. Anyway, long story short, tying it back to the kind of that kind of confidence thing. There's a few conversations that we've had with a couple of a few of the team members internally that have kind of built on some of those themes that are identified that we talked about in carrying the gap around confidence and how to be make sure that you your voice is heard in meetings or how to tackle some of those situations where you've got maybe more senior people or more confident people, whether it's and this was back in the day when we were sitting in an office together. So you didn't have the challenge of everything being on conference call or video conference. And it's it's I think having those development plans for want of a better word in place with all of the team in those regular weekly sessions with their line managers that you can feed some of those conversations you tie some of those conversations together do you know what I mean? so when you're talking about and it doesn't just I mean in that you know in a couple of these cases it was about the female members of the team but the same principle would apply whether it was one of the junior guys <laughs> it's creating the space to kind of bring some of these conversations and issues to the fore and then managing it within the business so that it doesn't become something that's mentioned once and forgotten about it actually becomes a point that you can focus on and develop with that specific member of the team to make sure that they feel they can have a voice etc and some becomes quite practical help as opposed to just a, a, a kind of wide-ranging conversation that you have yeah and I think so there's a couple of things in there for me Jules one is that you know mentors are amazing but sponsors are invaluable having people in the business who are championing you when you are in a in a meeting and you've noticed that there's a woman at the table and she hasn't spoken you throw the conversation to her you make that happen like helping overcome those first barriers of confidence and actually being there to to, to see where every opportunity is to to help and reinforce that but actually just coming back to the confidence question confidence is pointless without competence I have plenty of confident people and I've hired them for 10 minutes and that's yeah. that because if you haven't got the delivery to back, to it, back up, it up, yeah, big time. So that's another get real element of this conversation, which is I'm lacking confidence. I'm like, do you actually have the competence to be hired <laughs> for one of these roles as well? Like, are we sure it's just a confidence issue? Let's work on those. And the majority of the time it is. They've they've demonstrated this is one of the really frustrating elements is that there's a one of the places that gender bias plays out most is in male leaders with female staff moving the goalposts. They have to prove it and prove it again. It's called the double bind. So evidencing that you can do something. So coming to your next appraisal and showing that you've 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 achieved the task that they've set for them, they'll make you do it again and again. It's something about the confidence and competence of women that we unconsciously carry. Mm-hmm. So we are incumbent on doing that. But yes, you've got to have the practical skills. And 
you know, negotiation is a skill. Presentations are a skill. Asking for a pay rise, that's a skill. These are things you can learn for sure. And you should. Mm. And this is the thing is, you know, that you, you know that you've come a long way with yeah. able to have a constructive conversation about the competence of female females and leaders, you know, then, then you're not just being attacked for talking about them because they're female. Well, what do you think that there's been a lot of chat about the um, on the global stage about, you know, the countries with female leaders working really well through the COVID crisis and uh, from New Zealand to the Scandinavian countries. You know, is it Jacinda or Jacinda Ardern? She's a, an amazing she's yeah. been woman. Heralded as the, know, and she's got this kind of she's this our poster kind of, woman at the moment. Mm-hmm. Relatability and empathy and trust and and our own Nicola Sturgeon as well. Let's not forget. And, and they they do they do seem to have some qualities that really help them stand out against, you know, eaten, educated, white, male, privileged men who you know drive between their mansions, and you know, and there's a sincerity in what they say. I think that's really, you know, it does, you know, and that's it's not when you think. And I'll leave the expert Nat to talk about this, but I do think if you just from a layman's point of view, you kind of particularly in the midst of this, you know, when everything is kind of turned upside down people want to trust what they're hearing and they want it's that open honest transparent communication all the stuff we talk about in the business and that's like you say that's what whether you're british public or the new zealand public whatever you that's what you are looking for and there's a sincerity i think and particularly i watched quite jacinda quite not a lot but you're talking there is that even if you didn't and from a political point of view even if you don't agree with with her views or her position on things. She has an integrity about her when she speaks that I think a lot of probably male white politicians don't have. Yeah. Well, it's and leadership. I, I, I mean, it's, it's leadership yeah, at the end of the day. That's leadership at its best, yeah. for sure. And, yeah. and, but it tends to be, we all have an ego, of course, but it tends to be egos more in check with leaders like Jacinda Ardern. And there are, there are male leaders who can ape that, but at the moment in times of crisis, everyone... We're seeing some male leaders seek to be the hero of the piece. And it's either mm. the Churchillian war metaphors mm. or it's them trying to come up with medical solutions themselves. Um, the humility to say, I don't know, we don't know, is not something that has been rewarded in men as much as it has been rewarded in more female communications. So mm. I think that's probably one mm. of the key differentiators at the moment. And Angela Merkel is a scientist, so she's actually got the competence mm. to hold her position in a scenario like this. So suddenly those skills and that expertise becomes more important than being a good politician. Mm-hmm. And I think I think it's doing a huge amount for women in leadership on the world stage. It is... You said that's leadership. That's what good leadership looks like, Chris. And this is one of the conversations that the future of business is more female because it's more empathic, more communicative, more collaborative. And that Gen Z, as they come through, that's the kind of style of leadership they're demanding. And women are in an incredibly powerful position because if they're holding those skills innately, I'd much rather upskill the competence, mm. teach an empathic, naturally empathic person how to do negotiation skills yeah, than take yeah. somebody with zero empathy that was a brilliant negotiator and teach them how to be in I think you're absolutely right. And so this is such a hopeful point, yeah. and encouraging time that women should value those qualities that they have innately that sometimes they feel are holding them back. And to your point, Jules, seeing that on the world stage at the worst of times, the skills that we are valuing 
are those honesty, humility, compassion, um, and integrity. And that's really the, the shape of leadership and one that I believe has got the most power. Well, I'll, I'll, so to kind of, because we've been going on now for two quarters of an hour, uh, just to kind of wrap this up now, if there was a couple of pieces of advice that you would give people in design agencies, and it's interesting because you can give advice from the top to the bottom, but if, if you could do one thing, what would it be? Is that, or is that being too simplistic? I advice? suppose if it's one thing, because I could create quotas, I, I'm pro quotas, that's a conversation for a whole other time, but I'm pro quotas, but I I don't advocate a tick box exercise for solving this problem because I don't believe that you'll change behaviours and you'll change attitudes. So my ask is to say, you have this problem in your business somewhere. It is incumbent on you to work out where it is and what you're doing to help be part of the solution and not part of the problem. I haven't spoken to a single agency that didn't have an issue somewhere with somebody or some element of how or they couldn't be better. I call them issues because they're the things that we're seeking to change to create wholesale change. So it's businesses, this is your responsibility. It's on you. There is a massive role you have to play in it. For individuals, get a mentor and work it out from there, for sure. I think that's I think that's a real career changing, life changing decision to make that a part of your own personal education and seek to improve your competence. Does the, does the mentor need to be a woman? No, absolutely not. Not at all. In fact, the power of it not being is a whole new dynamic. And the reverse mentoring that happens for that male mentor to hear the truth of how some of the women in their business or other people's businesses feeling is incredibly powerful. So the mentors on Kearney the Gaps programme are a mixture of men and women. I have more women. I think that's natural. We're seeking to change that. And the men in our audiences is growing and Glasgow is the most diverse audience we've had on every level, by the way. So there there are encouraging things happening. And I suppose that's it. Just keep doing it because it's we're getting somewhere. It's too slow for my taste, but then I have to be at the forefront going more, faster. Mm. Don't forget it, you know keeping that energy yeah, up if all of these conversations can just you know encourage a little bit a number of small changes or like you say just even sometimes it's just thinking twice about being aware of that unconscious bias or wherever it appears that is that all that however oh, well, all that change is positive however small yeah it's amazing when I mean, you hear the stories of the impacts that it's had at an individual level and i don't just mean kind of the gap i mean anyone who's been a good leader speaking about the people have given them feedback about what things have changed for them it's amazing and it varies everything from health benefits because of reduced stress and anxiety Mm. through to promotions or through to people going do you know what i've just realized i don't fucking want to do this moving to australia and being happier than they've ever been great we don't want people in our businesses that don't want to be there like that that empowerment of what you want to do yeah you can create that change is is a major part of it so yeah, no, never presume because it's a, a small thing. Like you could change the impact and confidence of one young woman and she'll become a leader of a thousand person business and every single one of them will benefit from the experience that she's had. So it's, it is, it's, it's day by day, person by person. It's not a legislative change that we're talking about. It's, it's really behavioural and attitudinal that will make a massive difference. 
So where can people find out more, Nat, if they're inspired to, after our astonishing conversation and insights, where, where can they find out more about Kerning the Gap? They can visit kerningthegap.com. They can follow us on Instagram and the Twitters. Um, and we're conscious that the majority of our events are and services actually are delivered in person. So we're currently looking at how we can bring that in the digital realm. Love it. Mm. Nat, thanks ever so much for your time. It's been great. And I'd just like to thank Julie and Chris for being here and Chris's sound, which is still all over the place. Oh. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Nat. It's been to amazing you. to see you, Nat. We, yeah. we love you. And we'll do this again because I think it would be good to check in on a regular basis just to make sure that we're checking in on ourselves and checking in on your progress. So thanks very much, Nat. That's, that's the wrong music. This is what makes it three star. Papa, three stars, bitches. Three stars. Boom. See you next time.